Coming up on this episode of the Delta Huddle podcast. I think back in those early days, we really tried to make things just perfect, you know, mm -hmm. just like think of every edge case, think of every way a user, you know, or a customer is going to interact with this. And we would polish it and polish it and then we'd release something. The process at Square now is a lot more iterative. It's a lot mm -hmm. more like, okay, we're going to, we're breaking these into milestones. We're solving this pain point today. Now we're going to solve this one. Now we're going to solve this one. And so <clears throat> we're launching a lot more iteratively. And so the the importance of having beta along for the ride and even plugged in at that early research phase and, and continuously involved is so important. Hello, I'm Stefan Stenrus, and this is the Delta Huddle podcast by CenterCode. In the world of fintech, Square is a global leader. Their point of sale technology and services allows businesses across the world to succeed. And a global leader also requires a global beta team, one that's ready to test out new innovations and understand how to integrate with a multitude of different financial systems and rules. And at the center of that team is Lindsey Brown. As global head of beta testing, she leads a team that tests from the United States to Europe and Asia, working with their customers to make sure that Square is powering their businesses effectively. In her five years as global head of beta testing, Lindsay has increased program adoption by 150%, scaled her team times four, and led a modernization of Square's beta testing techniques. Her passion for beta testing really, really shown through in this episode, and we got to cover topics such as curiosity, how she earned the title of queen of feature requests, and how embracing healthy tension was essential for Square's beta team. If you're looking for another playbook on how to run a global beta testing team effectively, it's all right here for you. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining the Delta Huddle podcast today. Uh, just wanted to start off. Um, can you tell us more about Square and what your team does and how you got into your role? Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm the global head of beta testing at Square, and I've been in this role for about five years, been at Square for almost eight. So it's been a long time. Um, Square is a fantastic company, part of Block now. Um, basically, Square is a company in the fintech space focused on powering sellers' businesses. So you're going to hear me say sellers and buyers throughout this podcast. That's how, you know, sellers are our customers, buyers are their customers. Um, so we have a suite of tools, really an ecosystem of products that help sellers power their business from every angle, front end, back end, online payments, in-person payments, really everything you can think of uh, we're getting involved in. So I got my start in beta testing um, really by accident or just kind of fell into it. But um, I, my prior experience was in localization project management. And I was living in San Francisco and um, tech was really booming at the time. And I wanted to make a transition into tech. And I had a great friend working at Square at the time who told me like, hey, I really think you would like this company. you got to check us out. So I went online. I was doing my research into Square and like the marketing we had back then featuring some of our early sellers was so compelling. I just really fell in love with the customer and their stories and I feel really passionate about small businesses and just learning about how they were using our products to stand, stand themselves up and start contributing in their communities was really inspiring to me. 
So <clears throat> when I came in, I actually came in as an account manager because I really wanted to work with customers and I wanted to work with customers from sort of the, the revenue generating standpoint. So came in as an account manager, worked as an account manager for um, maybe around 14 months before I started um, missing more of that like project management angle that I'd been in previously. But one of the things um, that I was known for as an account manager was like the queen of feature requests. Like as I was talking with sellers, I was always like, oh, they can't, I can't upsell them on this. They don't have this feature. They really need it. And so around the same time, I started building close relationships with product teams um, and kind of making a small name for myself there. Um, at the time, I was working with another really great individual. Her name is Kristen Brosh, no longer at Square, but she became my lead and she was the first lead of our beta team. Uh, at Square. So I started um, getting involved with her doing different migrations and deprecations really from the account management project lens of how can we steward some of our most valuable customers through these changes, make sure we don't have any churn, make sure they're happy with the new experiences. And from there, I just got pulled in, mm -hmm. just got pulled into beta. And, um, and working with her was great because she, she's such a I feel like she has such a visionary mind. And so she would run after things like, we're launching this now, we're doing this. And I would be kind of behind her, like pulling pulling her <laughs> sleeve, being like, no, the plan, the process, <laughs> the execution, you know? And so the two of us together, it was such a good match because she was, she was so great at um, being an early evangelist of the beta program. And then I was coming in kind of like the second person putting all the processes and execution in place. Um, so at the time that she decided to move on to another opportunity, still within Square, mm -hmm. um, I stepped up as the lead of the team. And at that point, we had, there were four of us. And now some years later, there are 25. So the team oh, wow. has scaled, um, scaled quite a lot. Yeah. And uh, we've gone from, you know, running just a few, just maybe one or two betas for each product team to now, you know, we're managing upwards of a hundred programs in a year. So um, it's quite quite a lot of scale, um, a big journey, but it's been, it's been such a pleasure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And mm -hmm. your story, I mean, that seems to be kind of the, the track for a lot of people who have gotten mm -hmm. into beta testing or field testing, et cetera. It's like, there's never really kind of like a clear path. No one ever said like, yeah, I applied to be the beta test manager and boom, there I was. It's always like I started in support and then kind of slowly mm -hmm. worked my way up or I was in one department and someone said, hey, you'd be a really great fit to to lead mm -hmm. this team. And then it just kind of grew from there, et cetera. So, um, and you said your team is global, right? Right? So what are some of yeah. the different kind of territories or countries that you operate in? And what are some of the challenges of having yeah. a global team? Yeah. So um, we operate, of course, the U.S. and Canada, uh, Japan, Australia, the U.K. Um, and most recently, we've added Ireland, Spain and France. So um, got a lot of time zone share there. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's probably one of the big difficulties is managing a global team across all the time zones, trying to give everyone a holistic experience on the team <clears throat> has been a challenge. But then, you know, each country has its own requirements too. And you have to navigate Definitely. that, that <laughs> landscape, you know, the, not just the fintech landscape here in the US, but also abroad. So, um, so there's a lot going on there as well. 
especially like the EU, like you're having to house data that you store from the EU, EU in EU servers. I think I've seen that uh, before in some of our, our projects. So we've had to allocate data that we're, we're storing just on EU soil. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and yeah, just getting getting that all set up too, right? Because um, trying to run everything from the U.S. it's not going to be as fast, and so there's yeah. all this infrastructure that needs to get put in place. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny you talked about um, like getting started in uh, localization. Mm -hmm. I I started in QA, and I, I always have this weird little story. We were I was doing manual testing in QA, and we were doing a little bit of localization, and I had like I think there was probably like twenty monitors on this like huge like rack. So we put 20 monitors and there was 20 different devices connected to each of the monitors. Okay. And I'd have one remote cause the remote was, um, it, it would be able to control all of them. So I'd have my English version in one and then I'd sit there and go through each of these different <laughs> languages to see if it was translated properly. Mm. And that was not a fun. not a fun thing. Uh, <laughs> and then we then we started figuring out that we can do a little bit better localization with um, with beta. So we we actually had uh, beta testers in different. This is when I was at uh, Western Digital. Mm -hmm. We would do beta testers in different um, locations to help us with the translations, uh, because there were some things that, while literally translated well, did not uh, translate well, like culturally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was always fun getting that kind of feedback. Absolutely. I think one of my favorite localization stories was, um, I forget the, I forget which car company it was, but they wanted to release a car um, in um, Latin America and they wanted to call it Nova and Ooh, no. Nova in Spanish, of course, means don't go. It doesn't yeah, no go, go. So <laughs> that's one of my favorites, but there are so many. And, and yeah, localization is a big part of the beta process, um, especially for the non-EN uh, countries. So uh, Japan, um, France, Spain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've, we've done some of some tests in the past. Like we've, we've localized fully to different regions in, in certain projects. Um, and then we've had some tests where we're like, Oh, we would like to get some people from different regions, but they have to be English speaking. Right. So like, Oh, let's get Eng English speaking people in, in China and, um, maybe in South America and we'll be able to support them. And it was sometimes it, it struggles to kind of uh, get off because obviously the different time zones that you're talking about, like being able to support someone that's in one region just from one location is, is real tough. So yeah. hearing that you can support locally, likely in the right languages uh, to support them yes. and in the right times within a good reason, mm -hmm. uh, a reasonable time frame is, is it's a uh, pretty smart. <laughs> Yeah, I think we, um, I was able to start hiring internationally in early 2019 was when mm. we made the case for that. Um, and it's been so beneficial to have people on the ground. You really can't replace it. Like if I had to, if I had to call people back, I, like, I don't know what we're going to do <laughs> because <laughs> there's just so, there's just so much value um, that you can get from having someone on the ground, not, not just to be with the sellers in person, of course, but also all of the local nuances the local regulations that they live with day in and day out that we would never think of that research might not uncover if you didn't have someone telling you. Um, so it's very important. And the, the recruitment on it too. We've, we've oh, used yeah. it in the past where we've had, we'd worked with people from different regions uh, and they can tell you where you should go to go find certain mm -hmm. people. 
Mm-hmm. Like they can, they can give you like, oh, here's a, a great forums that we use here locally, or here, I'll be able to go talk to these, this group of people and, and get us a, a group of people. So yeah, local knowledge is, is huge when we're talking international and getting mm-hmm. people, supporting people, um, building a <laughs> connection with them, which always means that we get a little bit more engagement out of mm-hmm. uh, the testers. So yeah, doing yeah. a good thing there. Kind of goes back to building that connection with the customer, right? Earlier, you were talking about how you kind of had that passion for the customer's voice and being the queen mm-hmm. of uh, product requests and all that yeah. stuff. And I think that's kind of one of the really unique things about going out there and trying to find like the real user, right? Whether in your case, it's like a real seller or a real, real buyer, right? You can mm-hmm. do so much modeling to say like, okay, this is what the market's going to look like. And this is what oh, yeah. the usage is going to look like. But I'm sure you've experienced it, right? Once you kind of get on the ground, it's like, whoa, this is a lot different than what we'd expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, going into some of these tests, especially when you're launching a new product, you have a set of assumptions, right? You're like, okay, we've done our research. We know that this is what people need. And um, you you have these um, preconceptions of how people are going to use it. Um, I was just talking to um, another um, wonderful participant that you had on a previous podcast, Sharon. And she oh, said, Sharon. Me, yeah, wow, she's great. <laughs> she's great. She's so great. And she's, she's a, she's a, she's one of the original, like the, oh, the yeah, OG yeah. beta people. She's oh, like, yeah. bubble. she's there. I heard that. I heard that podcast and I was like, oh my God, I got to talk to her. So yeah. um, she great. sent me this wonderful um, uh, visual of the path you think people are going to take through your product, which is just like yeah. A to B and the path they actually take, which was just like this crazy squiggle. <laughs> And I'm like, yes, absolutely that. But then you also, you also don't know how people might think to use your product um, in advance. And they might, they might have some clever, you know, some clever way of thinking about it that you're like, oh, we never even thought that this could be a value prop or something that people Mm -hmm. needed until we actually got it into the hands of real customers. Yeah. You think, think it's an edge case until most of the people are, are operating in Mm -hmm. that, in that case. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love what you said about the the pre the preconceptions. We've done research, right? We we know who our user is, we know the target market, mm-hmm. we have the features that we want, their expectations, and then we get to beta and oh wow, they're suddenly different, right? <laughs> it's because we've done research many, many months ago, maybe uh, years yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. And that's just it's the the product has morphed, the environment has evolved, the landscape has is, is mm-hmm. changed, everything's getting um it's, it's different from when we had done the research. That's why it's so important to kind of continuously add and inform mm-hmm. yourself with, with users. It's so, so valuable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And squares, um, squares changing more and more in that direction too, even in the years that I've, um, you know, spent working in the beta testing space with them. It's, it's like when we first launched square, we were kind of the first of our kind. We were the first, you know, company that was allowing people to take, credit cards outside of the major banks. And, and so we didn't have a lot of competition. And mm-hmm. so we, we kind of pulled way ahead in those early years um, and then started adding value from there. And so I think back in those early days, we really tried to make things just perfect, you know, mm-hmm. just like think of every edge case, think of every way a user, you know, or a customer is going to interact with this. And we would polish it and polish it and then we'd release something Mm -hmm. and now it's definitely a different landscape we have more competition and also um you know looking at trends over the past few years we've definitely seen how quickly things can change right the environment can change and so 
the process at Square now is a lot more iterative. It's a lot mm -hmm. more like, okay, we're going to, we're breaking these into milestones. We're solving this pain point today. Now we're going to solve this one. Now we're going to solve this one. And so <clears throat> we're launching a lot more iteratively. And so the, the importance of having beta along for the ride and even plugged in at that early research phase and, and continuously involved is so important. Um, so we're definitely seeing that shift over the past few years at Square and um, the relationships that we're starting to build <clears throat> with product teams now have really evolved. I'd say in the beginning, it was like, um, you know, we would we would be notified maybe of an upcoming beta test, like one to two months ahead of time. Like, hey, we've we've been working on this. We're we're about ready to test. Can you help find us some customers to to do this? And and um, it was almost like a contractual relationship where we're we're there within the company, we're there within Square, but we're still seen as this like outside team that you'll hire for your beta test, and then mm -hmm. we go away right at the end mm -hmm. once it launches. And now we're much more. We're much more involved in the earlier stages, much more consultative, seen more as a partner. Um, and that's been really uh, beneficial, not not just for our team and our growth and scalability, but also for the product teams that we work with and being able to get that feedback in much earlier um, and just really building the trust with those teams, too. Um, so that when you do come in, you say like, hey, uh, we need to pull this back or we need to delay or we need to ship this you know, this other feature component first. Um, it's not, it's not as much uh, friction as it was in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We actually talked any... to Go ahead, Richard Ball about that. He, he talked about his the time at Peloton oh, yeah. um, needing to break down these barriers. He was new to the, the company and they, they just mm -hmm. started their, their program. Obviously they're not the oldest company around, um, mm -hmm. but he ran into teams that were resistant Right. And like mm -hmm. you said, you need to you need to build trust with these people that you're going to be working with. You're, you're providing a service and you're you're talking more about like an integrated service. You're, you're very integrated and involved in it. Mm -hmm. And you need to break down some of those barriers to, to build that trust. Like mm -hmm. what advice do you have for people to to build trust with your um, I'd say stakeholders? Yeah, um, I think. I think the one of the most important things to understand is also what the product development process is like for product teams and all the stages that they go through um, and all the challenges that they have. Because for many people, by the time you get to the point where you're ready to have a beta test, like the end is in sight and you've been grinding for a long time working on something and you're just like, you're so ready to be done, mm -hmm. you know? And so to have someone come in and say like, well, we're going to beta test this and we'd like this many weeks or something kind of to come in in an unintegrated way. Um, the product teams are just going to think like, oh, you're just adding time. You know, you're just work. like, right. you're work. adding work, yeah. you're adding time. I'm not sure what value I'm going to get for this. Like I, you know, we know it's great. And so, and so um, I think the first thing you need to do is really have um, understanding and empathy for, for that whole process. And then, um, you know, early, um, one of the questions I think you asked me was what's the difference between like early programs and mature programs or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I would say in a, in a case like Richard's or, um, or really in mine, when I first took the team and we weren't as highly utilized, it's like, how, what are all the ways that I can add value? You know, and it's all about adding and showing value. So, um, you know, coming in and designing a program that's going to help 
help plug the gaps in knowledge um, around seller behavior? Like, what are what are the things that um, what are the open questions that we still have before this launches? You know, are we wondering about price point? Are we wondering about about the future roadmap? Are we wondering um, if we you know, do we need to de-risk QA? Like what what would make us feel confident about this launch? And then going in there and and offering that value. So, um, so and so much to be had, right? So much from user feedback, from just debugging perspectives. So there's a lot of value to add. And so positioning that value and, and offering it um, is one way to start building trust. And I think um, the other way I think is to set yourself up for success by embracing healthy tension. This is a word that gets um, passed around at Square a lot is healthy tension, which is this idea that, you know, you don't want to just say like, oh, yes, 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 all the way along the line. You do actually want people on your project team in your corner who are going to give you another perspective, question things a little bit. What about this? What about that? To get you thinking about what you may be missing. Right. And so so one of the, the jokes that I have with um, with a beta manager on my team is I was like, just go in there and introduce yourself and tell them you're there to break their product with a smile on your face. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're like, I'm there to find all the things that aren't working with this, you know, with with a team of your customers as one angle. And we're going to find all the things they love, all the things they don't love. <clears throat> and you're going to have such a better idea of what your launch is going to look like. And you're going to have, um, you know, way more confidence or the information you need to go back and make a case to build something additional or to make a pivot. So, um, so just embracing that being in the beta space, um, you're going to, you're going to encounter some conflict with people, but not, but just, it, but just acknowledging that in the beginning and aligning goals in the beginning to kind of defang that a little bit is another way. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, confidence was a word that kind of really stuck out to me when you were talking about that whole process. We mm -hmm. used to have this big sign. We just switched offices. We just moved offices like mm -hmm. earlier last week. In our old office, right behind the front desk, we had this big sign that said launch with confidence. And I mm -hmm. think that really kind of speaks yeah. to kind of some of the core values of why you would want to beta test, right? Like you said, teams may run into, you know, kind of the... Uh, the thought process like, hey, we're just adding extra weeks to this. There's going to be delays, right? We know it's good, et cetera. But also, you know, it's all about addressing those those open questions and being able to say like, okay, what are we unsure about, right? Like what are we kind of not able to talk about because we feel a little kind of cautious or a little scared about it? You know, the whole process mm -hmm. allows you to launch with confidence. And uh, our previous podcast, we talked to um, Joe and Ryan from 280 Group, and we talked a ton mm -hmm. about launch readiness, like what that means to them. Um, and they spoke very broadly because they're just in product management, right? And they're more consultants. Um, so one question I had for you is, what does launch readiness mean for your team? When can you say like, okay, we are finally ready to launch? To launch, um, to exit beta, basically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, so I talked a little bit already about how we were, we went through this cultural shift at Square where before everything was like completely perfect and we thought through mm -hmm. every possible edge case and now we're working more iteratively. Um, so with every project that we manage, there are some baselines, right? Like no, no P1, no P0 bugs, like nothing that's going to be a showstopper, nothing that's um, 
going to introduce a lot of you know, any chaos into a business owner's day that they're going to have to find a way around, nothing like that. Um, we also look for um, a generally high product CSAT, which is, which is, you know, the difference between, yeah, I'll use it because it's there and I love this, mm-hmm. right? So we're trying to get people to the point where they love it. Um, and we track that throughout the beta through a couple different milestones. Um, then from there, I think, you really want to look at, is this product delivering the promised value without introducing anything that takes away from other value? So um, that's kind of, it's kind of opaque. So I'll give you an example, but we had, um, we had one um, released recently. It's a subscriptions product. So it allows um, a seller to offer subscription-based payments for product or service. And we were moving it onto our Square Online um, website. So a seller could basically um, put that on there. Buyers could say, oh, I want to be a part of this description. They could go and sign up for the subscription. It would take their credit card. um, And it was for uh, the fulfillment was for uh, shipping only at that time. So... Now they're like, okay, we're, we're going iteratively shipping's first shipping fulfillment first pickup delivery or whatever else down the line. Um, but one of the things that we were, that we discovered as we were going through the beta test is that the product teams did not have any way to calculate real time shipping at the moment of capture payment capture for any subscription item. So what that meant for the seller was like, Yes, you've opened up another channel for me to accept subscriptions. I can do this through my website now. But every time I take a, I accept a payment, I'm losing money because I'm paying for the shipping because I can't Mm -hmm. capture the shipping cost. So we really made the argument exiting that test like, hey, you're not done because yes, you're giving value by opening this channel, but you're also taking away value by not giving sellers a way to capture these funds. So they're losing money on every sale and that's, that's not done. Right. So, so that's what I, that's one example of what I mean by that. It's funny. I have a semi similar story in that vein. We, we were at WD working on a media player mm-hmm. and this particular, we had a handful of media players already out there, but this particular media player that we were, we were beta testing didn't have um, probably one of the most, popular streaming service. It didn't have uh, Netflix on it. Um, so we, we tested it with the the, the beta group yeah. and there was, uh, everyone was flipping out. They're like, nope, mm-mm, can't, mm-hmm. can't like this is, we wouldn't, no one, no one would appreciate this. No one would buy this uh, mm-hmm. because they didn't have the the one thing that they wanted. There's a, a few other things missing from the, in comparison to the other media players, but it got something like a, a negative 60 NPS uh, mm-hmm. and we were doing like a, a beta net promoter score. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was just one thing. We're like, "Hey, product team, like this is this is the, what the the market's saying." So we had something like two hundred something testers, and it was not all bad, but it was mostly um, bad. And uh, we did actually get to delay that launch because of that that gap in feature. It was most on the CSAT side. There wasn't a lot of the the um, the problems with like the the, the P ones or big big issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, which those two things, those those two criteria that you let are like hands down the most popular uh, mm-hmm. exit criteria. Like we had done our industry surveys. Like those two 
are the exit criteria that people have to find. No, no P1, no P2s, no high severity issues mm-hmm. going out because it will cause a, a storm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then set some kind of subjective rating, either it's a star rating or a, a simple CSAT or um, a net promoter score or some some subjective rating. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So interesting kind of, yeah, having that that core value, being able to supply that. But yeah, it kind of opened my mind up to the idea. It's like, hey, we need to provide value without also taking value away from something else, right? So it really is kind of that give and take and making sure that everything is is properly balanced, like like mm-hmm. all things should be. Um, you said that kind of your team was starting to grow at the beginning of, of 2019, uh, early 2019. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then obviously a year later, early 2020, we enter this massive, you know, kind of shift with COVID where everyone is mm-hmm. inside and no one's actually going to restaurants or stores or, uh, little shops, et cetera, where square was likely used often, right? That's where yeah. I see square the most, at least. Um, can you, Talk about a little bit some of those challenges that you experienced during that time. How did your team properly test in that environment? Like, what was that actually like yeah. for you? Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of scrappiness. I'd have to say. I mean, mm-hmm. even for our even for hardware testing, you know, we used to, you know, our alpha program for hardware testing, we used to just set it up in all the lunch areas. You know, come come and run your card, buy yourself lunch, and that would be our testing, right? We had so many employees in the office that that was our, you know, payments acceptance testing for hardware. So um, we had to make a lot of pivots. A lot of people turned their homes into semi-fulfillment centers, you know, mm. because again, with hardware testing, you have to unbox, you have to boot it up, you have to do the initial testing before you box it back up and send it out to people. So we had we had like funny Slack channels of like towers of <laughs> towers of boxes of hardware and all that stuff in our rooms. And yeah, it was a crazy time. Um, I would say <clears throat> even though there was definitely a slowdown in terms of card present payment activity, right? People mm-hmm. going into shops and things like that, the online world exploded. So that was like our Square Online team went through just a renaissance of of product development. It was like, um, you know, it, it, was, it was so busy, but it was so, it was also just exciting because we were like, people need this. They need these mm-hmm. tools. They need it now. You know, they're trying to save their businesses. And so we had a fire lit under us to to ship so many more incremental features within Square Online. And so a lot of attention was going there. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think, you know, Square weathered that pretty well. A lot of our sellers weathered it well. Um, of course, that wasn't the story for everyone. So it was, mm-hmm. it's tough, you know, to, to hear of everyone, of um, customers struggling. But I would say for us, it was kind of an all hands on deck moment, you know, to try to ship as much as we could, deliver as much value as we could during that time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting how those big paradigm shifts, like you said, just light the fire <clears throat> under the team, right? It just promotes like, how can we look at this differently? Like, hey, there's yeah. this huge customer base that suddenly needs us, right? And they need us mm-hmm. to be able to go in there and mm-hmm. start developing, you know, new features to tackle all this. And yeah. um, it sounds like you guys also do a ton of dog fooding at Square as well, like just having kind of the technology present on campus or within your offices. And if you want to yeah. push something out, you yeah. know, 
the other Square members, I don't know if you guys have a nickname for people who work at Square, but everyone else at Square is kind of an active tester, which is also really cool. And Chris, I know yeah. you're a big proponent of dog fooding as well. So that probably <laughs> is music to your ears. Yeah. Do you, do you guys call it dog fooding? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, and we're just squares. It's easy. Just there put it yeah. <laughs> um, But I did actually, not think of that, which is super yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so simple. But um, yeah. but actually thinking back to the last question, um, I think it's interesting some of the things that we launched. Mm -hmm. So um, so some of some of what we developed during that time was um, a lot for the restaurants industry especially. So, um, you know, like how can we help people still run their business, but at a distance, right? Um, so we, one of the things that we developed was the, we call the self-serve ordering, which is basically, you know, it's so it's, I feel like it's everywhere now, but at least it was, you would go and sit down at the table, you would have a QR code or something there that you'd scan, pull up the menu, order off the menu, order sent to the kitchen and brought out to you. You don't need to you know, or you can go pick it up. You don't have to, um, you know, have that like constant interaction with the wait staff and, and all that kind of stuff, um, started coming out, you know, like how can we, um, people wanted, um, more distance between, um, the register and people, people had those like shields remember over, um, over the register and like the guests and the line and a lot of online ordering, you know, like, order ahead. I want to pick it up. I don't want to stand in line around a lot of people. Um, and even like, I think some of our products, like, uh, anything that would give distance, right. So we had a square terminal. It's like square terminal was like a standalone. You could, you could just like put it, put it out at a distance. People would tap on that, you know, as opposed to like coming right up and handing a card or something. So there's just a lot of different behaviors that way. And, and I remember we were, um, some of the, um, restaurants PMs and I were once in a room talking about it. We were like, is this going to change how restaurants operate, you know, forever? Like, is this going to be lasting? Like, we didn't know, you know, we we're just like, um, so that's one of the things you also think about, right? Is like, are we building this for the moment or is this going to be kind of how it is in the future? So it was a really interesting time. Yeah. So one question I had for you is with all this AI stuff coming out, you know, LLMs and BARD and ChatGPT and Bing and all this stuff. Yeah. How do you see that affecting not just your industry, but also the way that you beta test and make sure products are, are ready to go? That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a few things, right? I think um, <clears throat> one, I think the biggest is content generation, right? So content generation, um, we, we have a lot of, you know, support guides, how to's and things like that, that we include in our beta programs to help people get started. So I think... Um, definitely generating some of that content for us, um, teaching it how to do that. Feedback capture and analysis is also a really big one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, working with working with those data sets, um, categorizing it a little more finely, and then um, probably more intelligent communication and follow-up communication. So um, right now we have, for example, the ways that you know, the different channels that we work through and the ways that we work with sellers. Um, we have a few, we do phone, email, we have um, surveys that we send out. We have an online community. You have a bunch of different channels for sellers to get in contact with us. Um, all of that relies on a person, 
person being there. So there's definitely a potential, you know, as AI gets more smart and intelligent to replace some of um, those things with uh, AI. Um, it's not going to, I don't think, ever really replace completely um, because there is there's definitely like a, a level of decision quality that's needed for every beta program when you're looking at feedback and when you're trying to decide like how how much you want to dig into something versus you know, what you're going to take at face value. But um, in terms of the efficiency of running a beta program, I think that AI has a lot that it can deliver. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Chris, we've got a couple AI tools in center code that kind of make that a little mm -hmm. easier. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Because I feel like we tried to get a little ahead of the curve on this. We're not quite at the level of like, hey, you just ask center code to give you feedback and it finds the testers and does it. But um, can you talk about that a little bit, kind of some of the AI elements that we're working into center code and some of the automation Ooh. we have? Yeah, we're definitely working on yeah. some stuff actively to, to figure out how AI really fits into beta as a just an industry as a whole. Yeah. And a lot of what you, you said, Lindsay, is kind of right on the money. Um, there's, there's so much into it in terms of helping, um, I'm going to say admins, helping um, the program managers be able to speak a little bit faster, get over some of those hurdles, get get responses out quicker. Because if you can kind of give a rough explanation to an AI and it can generate you a much better email or response to feedback or um, a request that you have, um, it's going to streamline stuff. Same thing with the or data sets. You, like, yeah, or take I, you through the troubleshooting steps. Exactly. You, know? you can input an entire troubleshooting manual. Yeah. And like you can you can have it respond with, oh, here's, the, you know, you ran into this issue. So here's the, you know, the symptom. Mm -hmm. Now here's some steps to to uh, attempt to, you know, get around this, the work around or, or here's mm -hmm. what you need to do to resolve that issue. So it's mm -hmm. huge in the, the support side of things. Mm -hmm. um, the data analysis is the one that I'm just, oh, man, I love data. And I have mm -hmm. my hands on the, the alpha version of the code interpreter hmm. for ChatGPT. And I, I just, every single day I have something going into it where I'm just looking at, you know, different types of data, doing some response coding, some categorization, some just like uh, any depth that I can get that it would ultimately be manual work for me. Um, I, I get just a, a little bit ahead. Um, give it some good context, give it some good instructions, and you can get something great out of it. Without those things, you're going to get a very basic, boring, not great uh, <laughs> response from the AI. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other side that we're looking on is the um, the planning. So we have the support and we have the, mm -hmm. the the analysis side of it, but the 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 planning and input going into the tests. So creating creative tasks or scenarios for people to test in, getting a good mm -hmm. test plan based on certain inputs, uh, getting accurate tester definitions based on um, what's going on in the market today. Like there's there's so much oh, input yeah. there. So there's. We've got a very, very long list of AI focused features and we're constantly talking cool. about them. Glad you're um, thinking about all that for us. Yes, that's, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I've, I have a AI and beta testing um, like guide blog that I've been like, just, I stand in front of it every, every day and I look at it, I'm like, oh man, I, this needs to be right. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're going through all the, the justice. We, every Every week I go to lunch with uh, our CEO and some product people and some just, you know, uh, some of our executives. And we kind of discuss these things like how's how's it going to fit in the, the new world? We had the same conversations mm -hmm. during 
um, the pandemic, right? We had, we, right. we sat there and said like, how is, how are th things changing? <laughs> uh, it's, it's harder to, to get people out in the, the wild. Like you're saying like your, the restaurant industry changed. You have to be able to evolve support and evolve your beta testing program, involve product development to be able to, to get more out of your, your product creation. Like you, you, it's the way to maximize it. So yeah, staying ahead of those those trends is 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 pretty crucial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and those trends just seem to be accelerating faster and every faster day, and faster. Something every new quarter, every year. Yeah, AI and I have sure... so many alerts, Google alerts <laughs> set up for like just things that I need to keep like a, a beat on, like this mm -hmm. Google Bard and, and ChatGPT and every single variation of it, just to stay up on the trends. I guess uh, another question for you is um, what are your, some of your just kind of go-to tips for beta go-to tips for beta testing in general? We kind of talked about breaking down yeah. some of those walls, et cetera, but what okay. are some like, I need to have these in order to make sure that my beta test is, is strong and working efficiently. Yeah. Um, you could break it down into a couple um, into two categories, really. There's the, there's what you need for each individual test. And then there's kind of what you need for your program to succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say, you know, on each individual test, you really need to make sure you're working with the right customer mm -hmm. for each one, because um, depending on the type of product you're launching and in what environment, you know, some some companies or for some products, you don't have a ton of customers in that test. You know, maybe mm -hmm. you have like up to 50, whereas in others, you have several thousand. You're working with a large data set. But um in either situation, you want to make sure that you're working with the right customer. Um, mm -hmm. If you're surfacing, if you're surfacing feedback that might result in a deviation of plan for the product teams, it's really important to be able to say, even if you don't have a huge testing pool, hey, this is your target customer. This is who you're trying to sell to. Um, this is who you want to adopt your product. And even though there may be only like 50 of them in this test, they represent 50,000. You know, um, so it's really important to have the right testers and not only by definition for the ideal customer profile or ICP for that product, but also in terms of the level of engagement that they'll give you in the test. So, um, you know, you can we can turn on a feature or invite people to a test. Um, we can invite thousands. But if we only are hearing feedback from a select few and they're the loudest voices in the room, I feel like everyone has this in their beta testing community. They have their, we call them our beta heroes, right? It's like mm -hmm. they're there no matter what test it is. They want to try it. Um, they want to get in there. But you need to make sure you're having, um, you're getting feedback from a diverse set of testers and you're not just hearing from the same people. Um, over and over again, um, and making sure that um, the loudest people in the room proverbially aren't necessarily the ones that are steering, that you're mm -hmm. balancing that out, um, making sure you're getting people that are more of like the lurkers in the test to come in and also share. Um, so I think, you know, as you're getting started, putting putting some sort of um, gauging interest early and trying to figure out who are the people that I'm going to rely on for this test um, is important. So you want to make sure that you have the right testers. Um, and then I think um, it, it's back to what you were saying, Chris, like the, the project plan, the beta plan, that test, whatever you're going to do, you have to make the goals of the test really clear. 
you have to know what you're going into learn. So um, working with the user researchers is great um, before going into any beta tests because you look back over the research that they did. You're like, okay, that was then. This is now. Mm-hmm. What's changed to our earlier conversation? What are what are uh, what's new in the environment that we need to address in the beta test that wasn't captured by the research because that was done at a different time? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, what are any assumptions that we might have about this product that we want to test? So you want to really um, define what you're going in there to learn. It's more than just kicking the tires on something, right? And making sure that nothing falls off and it works. There's there's also um, is is this product a fit for this customer? Is there some glaring missing component that they absolutely need to get value from it? So um, you want to define that really well in the project plan. And then as another component of that project plan, I'm laughing a little bit because it's like you have to have you have plan A and then you have plan B, C. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like something's going to go wrong. Yeah, something's going to go wrong. Always. Um, so you have to have your backup plans. You have to have your mitigation strategies. If I can't find enough of this kind of seller, what am I going to do? You know, what are all the channels that I can use to hear from sellers or um, from customers? Um, and then I think another component of that plan, and this is especially true for any kind of new product launch, is you want to understand where all of your one-way doors are hmm. um, and how that's going to affect your timeline. So, for example, if you um, are launching something and the marketing team's like, we're going to have a TV spot and we're going to feature this product front and center and that is on, you know, August 2nd and we've paid this amount of money, you know, so you need to like understand where the where the business is making investments along the development path of the product um, because that's gonna that's gonna help you set your whole timeline of like how how soon do I need this how soon do I need this you know and if you and if you are aware of those in the future then you know when to start ringing the alarm to ask for more resources or to ask for a pivot in strategy or even to like change some of those dates right um, so. All of that goes into the project plan. Super important. Um, that's a that's a big one. And then I think from a from a personal standpoint, I think you really need to have two components to be a great beta. We have we have two roles. We have beta program managers and beta specialists. Mm-hmm. And beta specialists are more on the kind of engagement support side of things. Okay. And yeah, and the program managers are the strategic product project design side. Um, and really for both roles, you need two main things. One, um, one of my um, beta managers said this as he was interviewing for the beta manager role, and it was so great. He was like, you need to get that product like in your blood, you know, mm-hmm. like you need to really care about what's happening with that. You need to get on their team, you know, even though we are not on, we're not in a product org, we're in a customer success org, but you need to be like a part of that team. You need to really care about what's happening with that product and have a passion for the product and the customer. And then the other thing that you need is curiosity. You need to be curious, like endless well of curiosity. What's happening here? You know, um, don't don't take anything right away at face value. Dig for it, you know, because that's I think that's the the um, one of the mi- big values that a beta program can provide, you know, because when you, when you get um, feedback from different sources, the feedback can be kind of flat, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you don't always know what people mean, 
when they give you that feedback, they're like, oh, I, I couldn't I couldn't use it. It was too complicated for me. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I didn't have time. It's like when you're engaging with the beta team and the beta program, you have a team of people that are going to chase that down for you. You know, they're going to really dig in and figure out what's going on here. Um, and so I think having that that curiosity in terms of the product experience and also the curiosity around the business need that the product is trying to solve is really big because that's when I think our team can really come in and make an impact when they say like, Hey, product teams, like we understand your product. We understand your customer. We know what you're trying to do and we need you to consider this, you know? So, um, those are, I think are some pretty, yeah, some pretty big pieces. Yes, I feel I, like we could do an entire podcast just on <laughs> those, <laughs> those specific yeah. things yeah. that you had just mentioned. Totally. Yeah, I was gonna curiosity say. though. I, I uh, you, yeah. you're singing my my tune. I love curiosity. <laughs> yeah, you need oh. to have it. You need to you have do. curiosity because, like like you said, a, a tester submits feedback, and a lot of times it's like you say it's flat. It's very um, it's very shallow, very high level. It's very mm-hmm. broad, and just one question can open up a world of response. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they could really elaborate. Right. And if and if you are showing curiosity and you confirm to them that you're you're listening, they're going to want to tell you the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's insights. Yeah. The This thing isn't so great is not an insight. It's it's mm-hmm. it's it's, it's, oh, it's hard to it's a data point. Um, but Intimate. the the response from it, the conversation that comes out of those things are are, are gold mm-hmm. to any product manager, to any product marketing person, to mm-hmm. any salesperson or support person. Like that is the gold, is mm-hmm. the actual response from them. Why are they feeling that way? Why do they think that it's not working well? Why don't they like it? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, coming up on time a little bit here i was going to say that if you could have written the blueprint for how to build an effective impactful beta team you just laid it right down there Lindsay. it was just like a perfect <laughs> summation of all the little things that you need to have running in the background to make everything just tick properly so that was cool. that was incredible um, start with the plan let's start with the plan mm-hmm. Yeah. Start with a plan and get people involved. That was one other thing that like yeah. one little nugget that I got from it. We, we talk about people that have objections or you need to build trust. Mm-hmm. Involving them is like yeah. UX is an ally. User researchers yeah. are an ally. You yeah. don't want to come at it from a, hey, they did that stuff before and now I have these new results. You don't want to just throw it back in their face like, no, no, here's what they're saying now. Your stuff is wrong. It's like, no, we want to involve them to say, what were you seeing? And mm-hmm. same thing with any product organization is going to, is going to say, here's how I define the, the, the user, right? Here's how I define my, my market, my ICP. And that's input that you need. Cause like, okay, what do you think the ICP is like? What, what, what should we get in this test? What's, what's priority to you? Mm-hmm. And that involvement breaks down it, it. They're less vulnerable because they're involved and they feel mm-hmm. like you're, you're, you are part of the team, right? Cause you're sure. all working together to get that in. Yeah. And we, and you know, when we're, um, when they share their plans for research before they start and they're like, well, okay, we're going to research this project. And these are the questions we're going to ask. We can be like, Ooh, ask them this this." Mm -hmm. because we, because just from, just from the sellers that we know and work with, I feel like this is something that you need to think about just include it, you know? (laughs) So it's, it's mutual. It's, it's definitely mutually beneficial. Yeah, yeah. That's how you jive and you thrive, right? Like yeah. well, by getting those allies with, I didn't mean it to come out that way, but it, <laughs> it works. Yeah. We're, we're keeping it. Um, yeah. but, but those, those allies, like it's the, I can help you 
and you could help me kind of thing. And that's just how good companies, good businesses, good product development teams work, right? Because yeah. everyone has their area of expertise and you don't want to be the imposter thinking that you can, I can do all the user research stuff, right? Like, oh, I can, yeah. I can do beta testing and product management. It's like, no, you have people that, that do those things. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can have input and they can have influence. And that's a that's a, yeah. a huge benefit to having not everyone has a, a team of hundreds of people. So those mm -hmm. people that out right. there that are, are really scrappy, the, yeah. the product manager that's having to do the beta test, that's having to do the user research, mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. they have more struggles. So that's why we the podcast is really good because we can give them some like, hey, here's some tips to get through that and what to think of and yeah. just any mm -hmm. resources. So. And working, working at Square is so interesting because um, there's just so much variety and the product teams where they definitely, you know, we have, we have our singular points of sale. We have our add-on products like loyalty, you know, our, our Square staff solution, marketing. And then we have a bunch of platform capabilities that are shared across all of them, right? Like how do you manage an item? How do you manage an order? That sort of thing. And, and there's so many product teams and so many groups all involved with all of this. And some of them are more resource than others. And so depending on who you're working with, some product teams, they don't have a user researcher. And so you're like, okay, um, so we didn't have a user research to start. And then other teams, they've got, they've got it all. They've got the user research, they've got usability, they've got, you know, they've got us, they've got so many PMs, end teams, different squads. So it's, uh, and that's um, that's one of the things too about the beta program at Square is that because of that, it's totally customizable mm -hmm. because we have all these different kinds of products, right? Because some touch millions and some only touch a few thousand, you know, there's all these different ways that you can run flexible beta programming at Square. So it's not like it's um, it's not like when a product team works with us, they're going into um, my uh, a colleague of mine said this, like going into the machine. Right. And it's yeah. like you're you're putting it in and we're just like doing our thing. We do the same thing every time and you get what you get. You know, it's like we customize, <laughs> we customize to what you're looking for. And I think that's also part of the success. Yeah. When, mm -hmm. when I was it was a, a webinar that I'd done like maybe two or three months ago, I was I was talking about like preparing for the webinar. Mm -hmm. and, uh, the, the webinar is about recruitment. And I, I started, I'm like, what's the best way? What's the best practices for recruitment? And I started listing them out. I'm like, you know, that doesn't work for these types of people. I started thinking about the caveats, the people that that, like, mm -hmm. that won't work for, the situations that won't work for. And all too often, like I, I write about beta testing all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and you you talk about these best practices and the these certain ways to do things. And a lot of times, like, there is pillars that apply to every project. And then there's things that need to be flexible because of the situation, right? Like you may not have resource, you may not have certain data points or, or research that happened before, mm -hmm. or um, maybe there isn't a software component to it, or maybe there is multiple software components to it, mm -hmm. or it needs to work with this specific thing. And there's one thing that I talked about in the webinar was there's the best practice, then there's the right pra practice for right now. <laughs> um, because there's there's a there's a right way to do everything and, and i feel like we lose that a lot with with writing for beta testing and, and talking about and giving advice is that there's there's always things to look for that you could be flexible in and, and change mm -hmm. right when you talk about thousands to you know um to you know hundreds 
or you know, handful or or five because we have customers that do like beta tests with five people. Like they're not they're not going to follow the same practice that we're applying to the people that are thousands. Yeah, you're not necessarily responding to every single piece of feedback in the, the thousands, right? You might be looking specifically at, 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 at data sets versus mm-hmm. the the qualitative feedback. But yeah, I can yeah. I can appreciate the the sentiment of the the flexibility of beta yeah. and that there's there's not there are pillars there are things mm-hmm. that you're going to use in every test there's structures in place to make sure that it's efficient, but yeah. don't take it at, at face value that there's mm-hmm. there's not room for flexibility in in beta testing. Yeah, and I think that's that's a challenge of scaling the program too. You know, you when you're first starting, you're so scrappy. You're like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna do whatever, and we, you still are. At the end of the day, you've got to get it done. So you still are. But in the early days, you're like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to <laughs> get what I need to get, and I don't care how long it takes me to do it this way because that's all I got right now. I don't have a better tool and I'm just going to do it. And then as you scale and you're like, okay, can't necessarily repeat that across 25 people (laughs) if I want to keep up with the amount of requests because we're a highly, highly utilized team. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't, we, we want to keep saying yes. We don't want to say no. So it's like, how do you, how do you try to, yeah, make it more scalable, more scalable process procedures, more scalable tooling and, and that sort of thing. But I think, um, you know, one of the questions you had was about like what it's like to do beta and fintech. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that and, and it was like, uh, I was thinking about what are, what are some of the, you know, industries or programs where you just don't want things to go wrong, you know? And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's about, and I was like, oh, well, safety, you mm-hmm. know, like uh, transportation, medical devices, you know, but then it's also like, yeah, finances, financial don't mess with my money don't yeah. mess with my money absolutely it's like anytime we have sellers who even even now if you go online and you find a forum of of businesses trying to understand if they should go with square or they should go with some other point of sale one of the first questions they have is is my money safe with square mm-hmm. right or with any other company so one of the first things on people's minds is am i going to be able to accept payment and am i going to get paid at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So whenever we're doing um, beta programs that affect that aspect, right, it's forefront in our minds. It's like, we need this to go well, because if it doesn't, someone's not getting paid today. And that makes yeah. a really big impact in people's lives. Um, and it's, and you know, it's also a highly regulated space. So, um, and that's within the US and it's also abroad. So um, one of the examples that I thought of was when we, um, decided we were going to start accepting e-money in Japan, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, like electronic money. It's a prepaid card. It's, it's used really widely. Something like, uh, I saw a stat from, it's it's out of date now. It's a few years ago, but it was something like 30, 30%, you know, circulations like coming from e-money. Oh, wow. And when we wanted to accept that for transportation, we had to work with a um, an entity called JREs, Japan Railway. And they had so many requirements, so many hoops for us to jump through to be able to certify all of our hardware to accept e-money cards transactions. So mm-hmm. we had to we had to do it like on iOS, on Android, all possible devices, Wi-Fi, Ethernet, LTE. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted like hundreds to thousands of transactions in each environment separately. And we were like, we were like, oh my gosh, we're gonna need so many testers for this. But then the other thing that's interesting about um, this space is that while we are 
B to B, our customers are B to C, right? So some of the tests rely on our seller's buyer's behavior. So mm -hmm. for this one, for example, it's like we need to hit this many transactions, but we were just like hoping everyone takes out their e-money cards, right? It's like yeah. it was the same thing when we acquired Afterpay. We're like, we just hope people choose Afterpay. It's like, please choose choose to pay with Afterpay. <laughs> Don't take out your credit card, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there were times um, in Japan where it was like, okay, we're, we're, we're like nearing our deadline. Let's round up the office. We're all going, we're walking down the block to like these testers and we're all going to buy curry bowls for lunch or we're all going to like, yeah. you know, we're buying coffee over here. And we would just like trying to get the transactions in any way we could to meet those requirements. So it can, it can be very highly regulated, very tight deadlines and also very high stakes. So mm -hmm. it's a lot to think about. Talk, talk about the value of beta though. Like what is the alternative to... <laughs> <laughs> to getting some of that data with without something like a, a, Just a beta shipping. program. Well, yeah, yeah in, that, in that case, we couldn't have done it without the beta program because, you know, they also yeah. wanted to see performance. So they wanted to see, um, you know, transaction speed of under two seconds before they would certify. They mm -hmm. wanted to see failure rate, you know, of under 5% for certain cards. So they, they literally wouldn't have let us do it if we hadn't done the test. So I like it. Mm -hmm. Very, very. Very, very dynamic. That seems to be always the quote. It's just so many <laughs> yeah. different variables that you have to account for. And yeah. and I mean, Japan Railway, that's a huge part of the country as well. So much of the mm -hmm. travel there is done by rail. So it's got to mm -hmm. be locked tight to make sure everything is is really, really solid. So, but excellent. Um, one last question I had for you, yeah. Lindsay, and Chris, if you'd like to opine as well, I'm sure you've mm -hmm. got opinions on this. Um, we just kind of laid out the foundation of a great team, the things that you need to take into account when you know testing abroad or testing locally or testing with anyone really. What does the future of beta testing look like for you? Um, what does it look like for your team? How do you see things changing in the next five or so years? Yeah. What's your thoughts? Well, um, while I would say that we're a very, um, we're a pretty mature program we're going up market in a bunch of different areas. We've been going up market for years and we do not have our, we are not, beta is not plugged in in our product experience in a way that allows us to really seamlessly streamline onboarding into a test and feedback during a test. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I've been um, pushing within Square um, for a while now is a place, um, a beta home somewhere within our products where a seller can go um, it's personalized to them. It knows what products they're already using. It knows what products might be good fits for them. And it surfaces testing opportunities um, for them to elect to become a part of. And we have embedded feedback tools along the journey of using that product, right? So we might have, um, we might have feedback tools embedded along the way if there's an onboarding component where we can check in on that. Um, if they encounter a bug along the way, um, you know, quick ways to capture the nuances of that bug, record a screen, record a video, send it to us, you know, mm. um, that way, you know, when we have, give you an example, when we look at um, a business like a restaurant, there are so many people that interact in the restaurant space. There's people in the kitchen, there's the wait staff, there's the kitchen manager, there's the owner, 
Um, there's all these different people in all these different roles and they're interacting with different aspects of the product, whether they're interacting with the KDS, they're taking a payment in a handheld device, they're inputting orders on the screen. So there's all these places where you can be um, in the testing environment for a new feature and to be in that environment and have to stop what you're doing and I don't know how you would do it in the busy, take out a notepad, write that something down. I got to tell them this later, you know, mm -hmm. like we need, we need ways to capture feedback in the right moments with minimal friction um, and at scale. Um, mm -hmm. That's, that's one of the things that I would love to see us do um, at Square. And I think um, the future of beta testing is going to be way more streamlined, way, way less friction, way more embedded experiences. Oh, one question. Um, yeah. I guess we haven't touched on it too much. We've touched on it kind of in a, in a broader manner, but how has beta testing just directly affected Square as a company? Have you seen any kind of culture changes, um, kind of communication between teams increase, et cetera? Oh, that's such a good question. So my team is centralized. It's centralized mm -hmm. in um, a support organization, customer success. And um, what that means is everyone on my team, we're, we're, uh, we're vertical-ish, you know? We have like mm -hmm. uh, experts in certain areas that we try to assign, you know, the same, the same kind of product beta so they can build more expertise and relationships, but everyone on some level can generalize. So that means they see, um, they, they'll work on one product over here, one product over here, and my team has a really unique view into how launches are planned for and run and how the products connect to each other. The other thing is that, um, you know, as a company, we go through different shifts, right? So we had our like all hands on deck shift during the pandemic. Um, now, you know, with the climate that we're in right now, it's kind of like, okay, shore up, let's plug gaps, you know, let's, let's take things that need to be, let's take things out of silos and put them on the platform and do all this great background work. that's going to make us more successful in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we've been doing the same thing as a beta team. And, um, a lot of what we've been doing going into this year is doing a lot of that evangelism to get, um, to get product teams across the board, across Square to change the way they think about beta testing and the development process. And some of, so some of the changes that have come from that have been different quality initiatives, um, definitely not coming out just only because of my team, but we've mm -hmm. been able to participate in those quality initiatives and really um, bring the beta lens to them. So like as a team is looking at you know, any kind of tech debt or, or something that they've accumulated and we're trying to clear all that out. It's like, okay, and as we're clearing that out, how can we be thinking about preventing this from accumulating in the first place, right? And so there's a lot of conversations happening around how we do that, um, how beta is involved and contributes to that. And, um, and also a lot of talk around how, you know, we evolve the beta program to continue to go after sellers up market, you know, who, who aren't, who don't, engage um on the level that we want to the degree that we'd like from more impersonal but scalable like engagement methods right mm -hmm. so how do we how do we like white glove we we have like white glove elements but it's almost like we need to 
um, we need to, you know, as a, you know, we talk about like all the different skills and I heard this on, on Richard's podcast with you too, but you hear about all the different skills that you need to hire for in a beta manager. It's like someone with empathy, someone with technical skill, someone that can, you know, look at data sets, analytics, um, all, all these different, you know, project management, all these different components. And it's almost like we're, we're, we're adding somewhat of like a strategic sales mindset back in because mm -hmm. some of the some of the features that we want to test up market are it's really cutting edge stuff and you need to sell it to them. You mm -hmm. know, it's like going going out and saying, um, you know, here's a one pager on it is OK, but it's not going to it. You know, so it's almost like a sales cycle where you need to bring them through, you know, multiple calls. Um, and so sales is there to help us with that but it's like um if you can find if you can find a person that's highly technical that has seller empathy that also understands the value props of the product you're testing and how to start to talk like a salesperson mm -hmm. then you can you know then you you don't have so many different channels that the feedback is coming through you don't you minimize the potential for misunderstandings or miscommunications and you can really like carry some of those hero sellers through the beta um so that's so that's some of the other ways that we're like getting closer with sales and account management teams and and um yeah trying to trying to assist with that effort overall that's did that amazing. answer the question you did an amazing job. That was perfect. Yeah, there we okay. go. Yeah, knocking those walls down, <laughs> making sure everything operates properly, and then just yeah. continuously evolving for the future. But mm -hmm. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, we've got so much to unpack here. And I think this is just <laughs> another big, like, we've had a couple episodes like this, Alex Larson and Richard and Sharon, where it's just like, yeah. here's all the tools you need. Here's all the knowledge. Go out and do it. So yeah. thank you so much for coming on and providing that. Sure, sure. Thank you for listening to the Delta Huddle podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a like or a five-star rating. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We'll see you in the next episode and happy testing.